This morning we want to ask this question, why do we baptize? Why is it that the church baptizes? Why are we baptizing 10 people today after the service? And that begs the question, why do we do what we do? We should always be asking that question to examine ourselves. Why am I doing what I am doing? Some people do things because it's tradition or it's a habit that they've built up in their lives. Some people do things because it feels good to them. It makes them feel warm and fuzzy inside and so they like to do it. Some people do things because it pleases other people. Those are people pleasers. <laughs> and they like to please other people. But when we ask about why we do what we do in the church, what is our response? Someone comes into Faith Bible Church and says, why do you do what you do at Faith Bible Church? How would you answer that question? Because it's a very important question for us to ask. In fact, in Israel's history, God established certain things so that the children of Israel would ask that very question to their fathers. Why do you do that, Dad? It's what the, the children want to ask their fathers. In fact, listen to Exodus 12 and verse 26. It says this, and when your children say to you, what does this right mean to you? You shall say it is a Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the sons of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians but spared our homes. God told Israel that their children were going to ask this important question. What does this right mean to you? Why do we do this, Dad? And God established the Passover as a picture or as an illustration of what God did to deliver Israel from Egypt. God uses many other illustrations throughout Scripture to teach Israel a lesson. We think of things like circumcision, animal sacrifices, different holy days and festivals that God has established. And God uses these illustrations to teach the truth and to pass it on to the next generation. And this morning we're going to be practicing two of those. Two ordinances, two God-ordained ceremonies and illustrations to teach us about God. We will practice communion first which is a picture of the death of Christ and his death for our sins. And then later on, we're going to practice baptism, which is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and our identifying with him in that. But this morning, if, if someone was to walk in the back doors and ask you, why are you baptizing ten people today? What would you say how would you respond to them? Is it just a tradition? Does it make you a member of the church? Does it save you? What would your answer be to that question? Why do you 
baptize people? Why does Faith Bible Church baptize people? Well, that's the question that is laid before us this morning, and that's the question that that we are going to answer. So what we're going to do this morning is more of a topical study, more of like a, a Bible study as we work our way through some passages in Scripture so that we can see why we as a church baptize people. But before we get into these scripture passages, first I want to clarify for you what we are doing this morning. Both in communion and in baptism. These two things that we are doing here this morning are ordinances, not sacraments. They are ordinances, not sacraments. If you grew up in the Catholic Church or an Eastern Orthodox Church or even some other Protestant churches, you probably heard of baptism as a sacrament. What is a sacrament? The Roman Catholic Church says this about sacraments. Sacraments are efficacious signs of grace instituted by Christ and entrusted to the church by which divine life is dispensed to us. The visible rites by which the sacraments are celebrated signify and make present the graces proper to each sacrament. The Roman Catholic Church goes on to say this. The church affirms that for believers, the sacraments of the New Testament, listen to this, are necessary for salvation. But what we are doing here this morning is not necessary for salvation. It's not necessary for salvation because we know what God's word says in Ephesians chapter 2 that we are not saved by any work, which is what communion and baptism would be. We're not saved by any works, but we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. And so what we're doing here this morning are not sacraments. What we are doing here this morning are ordinances. These are ordinances. What is an ordinance? Merriam-Webster Dictionaries defines it as this. An authoritative decree or direction. Something ordained or decreed by fate or a deity. A prescribed usage, practice, or ceremony. Simply put, it is a command by Christ that we are to obey. That is what an ordinance is. It's something that God has ordained, that Christ has established for his church to do and therefore obey. And as we do these, we practice these, communion and baptism, there is nothing that is dispensed in these acts by God to us. Nothing. There is no grace that is dispensed. There is no salvation that is dispensed to anyone partaking of communion or going into the waters of baptism. So communion and baptism are ordinances that have been given to us as a church to obey. So baptism is not a sacrament, but it is an ordinance that God has commanded for you and I as believers and as a church to obey. But why? Why do we baptize? Well, this morning I want to give you five reasons why we baptize. Five reasons why 
we baptize as a church? First, because it is a command. It is a command. Open your Bibles to Matthew 28. Matthew chapter 28. This is a familiar passage to us. We all know this wonderful passage in Matthew 28 at the end of the chapter as the Great Commission. It's the Great Commission. In Matthew chapter 28, look at verse 19. It says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so there is the command. There is what we could say a formula for us as to what we are to do as a church. First, we are called to make disciples. This happens as, as we go out and preach the gospel of Christ to the lost. Simply put, we tell them that they are sinners in need of a Savior. We tell them about Christ's death, burial, and resurrection to save sinners like them. And we tell them to repent of their sins and put their faith in Jesus Christ. And when a person does this, what we have done is we have just made a disciple. We have gone out and proclaimed the gospel to them, which is what Christ calls us to do, and we have made then a disciple. But then immediately following is the command to baptize them. To baptize them. Once we make a disciple, Jesus says that that person then is to be baptized. Jesus gives this ordinance to the church, and he commands us to baptize those who have become his disciples, his followers. And we see this played out in the life of the early church. Turn over to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, as we see the beginning of the church on the day of Pentecost, we see what the early church did, and We look back to the early church and we model many things after the early church. On the day of Pentecost, the church was was birthed and Peter stands up and he preaches the first sermon that was ever preached to the church. And after the people heard his sermon, they ask in Acts chapter 2 verse 37, look at what it says there. At the end of the verse, in verse 37, they say, brethren, what shall we do? What shall we do? What is Peter's response? Look at verse 38. Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now notice Peter doesn't say, Repeat this prayer after me. And notice Peter doesn't say, raise your hand and I'll call you out. I see that hand. I see that hand. Uh Uh-huh. What does Peter say? Repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Both of those are imperatives in the Greek. Both are commands. Repent, that is repent of your sins. 
turn away from your sin and be baptized. It's a command given by Peter to those who were there that day listening to him preach. Listen, this is not a suggestion that Peter is giving here. He doesn't say, and if you'd like to get baptized, well, that, that, that would be a good thing for you. No, he gives a command. A command to those who are listening to him preach the gospel, and he commands them to be baptized. Now, why would Peter command this? Because Peter was there in Matthew chapter 28 when Jesus was telling the 11 disciples, go and make disciples and baptize them. Jesus was telling Peter and the other 10 that were there with him exactly what they are to do. And Peter understood the command of Christ. And so therefore when Peter stands up and the people ask, what are we to do? He says, repent. Repent. And be baptized. He gives a command to go and baptize those who repent and put their faith in Christ. Turn over to Acts chapter 10. As we continue along in the history of the early church, Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, Peter was in, in Caesarea preaching to the Gentiles. And the Holy Spirit came upon those who were listening, and they got saved. And they get saved, and guess what Peter's next statement was? After they received the gift of salvation. Look at what it says in Acts chapter 10 and verse 47. Verse 47, it says, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we did. Can he? And notice this in verse 48, and he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Peter ordered that these Gentiles be baptized. Why did he order them? Because it's a command that's given to the church. You are to be baptized. Turn over to Acts chapter 22. Acts chapter 22 is... We come to the life of Paul, and we see what happened with Paul and his conversion. Acts chapter 22, Paul tells of his conversion story, and he tells of Ananias coming to him at Damascus. He was on the road to Damascus, and Paul got saved on that road as Christ appeared to him. Paul was blind. He was blinded, but a man named Ananias came to him and told him to receive his sight, and Paul did. And then look at what Ananias said to Paul right after this in Acts chapter 22 and verse 16. Look at what it says there. Ananias said, now why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins calling on his name. Ananias commanded Paul to get up and to be baptized. Not because the baptism was what washed away his sins. In fact, it wasn't. It was calling on the name of Jesus that washed away his sins. It was faith in Christ alone that washed away his sins. 
But the baptism was a symbol. It was an illustration of the washing away of his sins. Of what Christ had done in his heart by saving him. It's an illustration of the cleansing of sin that happened in Paul's heart. And that's why Ananias commanded Paul to go and be baptized. And so, why do we baptize? We baptize because it is commanded. It's commanded by Christ to his church. Second, we baptize because it is an act of obedience. It is an act of obedience. As you trace the growth of the church throughout the book of Acts, there's a common theme for those who become disciples. They get saved, and what's the the common theme for all of them? After they receive salvation, they get baptized. Go back to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. As you see Peter preaching that sermon there in Acts chapter 2, and he calls them to repent and be baptized, we come down to verse 41. And look at what it says in verse 41. So then, those who had received his word were what? Baptized. And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. 3,000 souls. That's a big baptism ceremony. That's a lot of people there at the water. That's a lot of people to dunk. 3,000 people on one day who received the gift of salvation and they were baptized. Why? Why 3,000 souls baptized? Because Christ commanded it. And then Peter commanded it. And then the people responded in obedience. They responded in obedience. Do you realize that the first act of obedience after conversion is to be baptized? You see that? That's what Christ has laid out for his church. You repent, you get saved, and that first act of obedience is to be baptism. Christ said, make disciples and baptize them. And when someone comes to faith in Christ, the first act of obedience that they do is they get baptized. Let me show you how this is true. Turn over to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, which was our scripture reading this morning. And in Acts chapter 8, Philip is preaching the gospel to the eunuch. If you remember, he tells him about Jesus in verse 35. Beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. He shared the gospel with him, and then look at what it says in verse 36. The eunuch says, look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? Obviously, the eunuch was taught earlier, or possibly even by Philip at this time, while they're sitting there in his chariot, about baptism. And the eunuch knew the importance of it. So what does he do? Verse 38, look at what he says. And he ordered the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. Why does the eunuch want to be baptized? 
to be obedient to the command that Christ has given to his church. He responds in obedience. Turn over to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. In Acts 16, we meet a a woman named Lydia. And in Acts 16, in verse 14, it says this, a, a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. That is, Paul came and preached the gospel, and she heard the gospel, and what did God do? He opened her heart so that she would receive the gift of salvation. Lydia was saved. She was saved that day. But look at what happens in verse 15. It says, And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Salvation and then what? Baptism. Then you continue on in Acts chapter 16 and you have the Philippian jailer who gets saved after Paul and Silas preached the gospel to him and to his household. And him and his household get saved. And in Acts 16 in verse 33 it says, And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds and immediately he was baptized, he and his household. The Philippian jailer and his household responded in obedience and they were baptized. Turn over to Acts chapter 18. In Acts chapter 18, you have Crispus, the leader of the synagogue in Corinth, get saved. Look at Acts chapter 18 and verse 8. It says this. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being what? Baptized. They were being baptized. Why the pattern of believing and then baptism? Because baptism was the obedient response to faith in Christ. That's the obedient response to faith in Christ. It is what Christ commanded and therefore his followers respond in obedience to him through the act of baptism. And on it goes in the book of Acts as you see salvation followed by baptism. Salvation and then baptism. And you know that's one of the ways that I know a person has been saved by Christ. It gets saved and then they tell me, Ace, When can I get baptized? You get it. You understand. You know what the scripture says. You've received the gift of salvation and now you desire obedience to Christ by being baptized. They desire baptism because they desire obedience to Christ. Because their heart has been radically changed. They are no longer an enemy of Christ. They're a follower of of Christ. And they desire now to be obedient to Christ. Sadly, there are many people in our churches today who either don't understand baptism or they lack obedience to Christ in this area. Some people even think that their infant baptism 
which means absolutely nothing because it is neither an act of obedience of that baby and neither it is, is it baptism, but they think that that is good enough. Infant baptism is not baptism. How do we know? We can look at the Greek word for baptism. The Greek word is baptizo. And it means this, to immerse, to submerge, or to dip. And when we're talking about baptism in water, it means to submerge into water. But that's not what happens in an infant baptism. It is neither an act of obedience on the part of that infant, and neither is it baptism. Baptism in Scripture is always an act done to the person who responds to the gospel by believing in Christ. And then it's their choice as an act of obedience to go and be baptized. But it's not the choice of an infant. They are brought to the waters of so-called baptism. Matt Wehmeyer in his book, A Biblical Critique of Infant Baptism, says this, The New Testament teaches that baptism is not something to which a person is passively brought by another person, but rather something to which he actively comes of his own volition. And so infant baptism is not baptism because it's not a willful act of that baby. And neither is it baptism because baptism means to immerse or to submerge in water. And in infant baptism, they sprinkle the baby or they dab water on the forehead of the baby. They don't submerge the baby in water, which I guess is a good thing, right? (laughs) But infant baptism is not biblical baptism. It is not an act of obedience to Christ. So people just go on living in disobedience to Christ on this very issue because they think that their infant baptism was enough. And it's not. Some think that they don't need baptism because they think it's more of a suggestion. Because baptism doesn't save you. And they're right, baptism does not save you. The thief on the cross, I know that's always the the argument, well, what about the thief on the cross? He was saved, right? Yes, he was. And he wasn't baptized? No, he wasn't. But the thief on the cross never had an opportunity to be baptized. He was nailed to a cross. And then he died. But I guarantee you, if that thief on the cross was able to get down from that cross, he would have gone to be baptized. True believers in Christ today have the opportunity to get baptized and they need to respond in obedience to Christ by being baptized. Imagine that. Imagine living your whole Christian life without the first act of obedience that Christ commands you to do. One commentator, Phil Newton, says this, Baptism should never be viewed as a a convenient option for those who prefer it. It is the biblical pattern for declaring your faith before the world. To neglect baptism is to bring into question the reality of your faith. For who is truly saved that is so ashamed of Jesus Christ that he refuses to be baptized? 
But listen, Satan wants you to neglect baptism. That's exactly what he wants. He wants you to neglect baptism because that's how he wants you to start off your Christian life. It's not that important that I obey Christ. You don't really need to be that obedient to Christ, you know. I know he saved you and all, but that's what Satan wants you to believe. And that's how he wants you to start off your Christian walk. But Christ commands for believers to be baptized, and we are to respond in obedience to Christ through baptism. And so we baptize first because it's commanded, second because it's an act of obedience, and third, we baptize because it's a witness to others. It is a witness to others. Now with the baptism of Jesus, there was a witness, right? There was a testimony that was given. Who was that? Yes, John the Baptist was there, and John the Baptist baptized Jesus, and he witnessed his baptism. But you also had the Father and the Holy Spirit there at his baptism as well. And it was Christ's baptism in Matthew 3, 17, where the Father said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And that was the Father giving testimony to Christ as he began his ministry. Now for us, we don't have that kind of witness. We don't have that kind of testimony. No one is going to hear the Father speak today as we're in the water. <laughs> it's not going to happen. And if you do hear the Father speaking, come and talk to me. We need to talk. <laughs> it's not going to happen. But Christ is there being baptized, and there's a witness who is there. John the Baptist, and the Father even gives witness to his Son. But when we are baptized, we are giving witness to those who are there who are followers of Christ. Baptism is a public confession that you and I, that we as believers, belong to Christ. Turn over to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. This is such an important passage for us to underline, memorize, circle it there in your Bible. Oftentimes, Matthew chapter 10, what we're about to read here, People think it's just about preaching the gospel or telling other people about Christ, which that is part of this as well. But look at Matthew chapter 10 and verse 32. Jesus says, therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. One of the ways that you confess Christ before men is through the waters of baptism. Listen, the world doesn't do this, right? The world doesn't do this. The world doesn't have baptism ceremonies. But the church does. And so whenever someone is baptized in the biblical sense of baptism, being submerged underwater, they are given testimony that they are a follower of Christ. Now think about that day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000, 3,000 believers, 
3,000 people there. And guess what all 3,000 of those had in common? Yes, they all testified that they were followers of Christ. But how did they do it? Did they all stand up and give their testimony one by one in front of the other 2,999? It's not what we read. What did they do? They were baptized. Waymire goes on and says, To be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ was to publicly declare one's allegiance to Christ and one's desire to follow him as a disciple. And in those days, identifying with Christ meant that you would either be shunned by culture or you would die. To identify with Christ meant that you were not identifying with the Jewish system. It meant that you were not identifying with Rome and with Caesar. You were declaring to the people that there is another king and his name is Jesus and I'm a follower of Jesus. And the Romans would come along and say, if you say that there is another king, we will kill you. And they would go into the waters of baptism and be baptized and say, I am a follower of Christ. And I'm willing to die for him. They're giving testimony and witness to others that they are followers of Christ. Number four, a fourth reason why we baptize, we baptize because it's an outward expression of an inward reality. It's an outward expression of an inward reality. What happens when someone repents of their sin and puts their faith in Christ? Their sins are what? Forgiven. Their sins are forgiven. Their heart is cleansed. And that is the picture that is given in baptism. Remember I said to you early on that God uses illustrations to teach. Well, he's given us baptism as an illustration to show what has happened in the heart of a believer. Look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 again. Turn over to Acts chapter 2 and look at verse 38. Peter doesn't just say repent and be baptized, but he goes on after that. After he says repent and be baptized in verse 38, he says, In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. For the forgiveness of your sins. Does Peter mean that your sins are forgiven only if you are baptized? No. That would go against what Scripture teaches about salvation, right? We are saved by grace through faith alone. We know that's how one is saved. But for a Jew to identify with Christ meant that he was making an allegiance to Christ. And in Judaism, living in those days, in Judaism, the only one who got baptized, the only ones who got baptized were Gentile proselytes who wanted to become a Jew. And so if you were a Gentile and you wanted to become a Jew, what they would require of you is for you to go and be baptized. Why would they do that? Because it symbolized that the Gentile is cleansing himself and dying to the Gentile way. It's a symbol of this, the, the cleansing. That he is now a Jew, no longer a Gentile. He's been cleansed. 
And so for a Jew to be baptized would have been shocking because Jews didn't get baptized. That was something that only Gentiles did. And for a Jew to be baptized, it would have been shocking because they are essentially identifying with a Gentile and recognizing that they need to be cleansed too. But their baptism symbolized that reality, that they do need cleansing from their sin. And so for Peter to repent and be baptized was to identify with Christ and be forgiven to be washed, to be cleansed of your sin, and to show on the outside the reality of what has taken place inside the hearts. But to refuse baptism, listen to this, to refuse baptism was to refuse repentance and refuse Christ and therefore refuse forgiveness and refuse the salvation that Christ offered. Don't refuse baptism. Respond in obedience to Christ through baptism and realize and recognize that this is a picture. It's an outward picture of an inward reality of what Christ has done to cleanse us from our sins. And so we baptize because it's a command, because it's an act of obedience, because it's a witness to others because it's an outward expression of an inward reality. And finally, number five, because it's a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection. It's a picture of death, burial, and resurrection. In Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul says, I have died. I am dead. And I died when when I became a new creation in Christ. When I received the forgiveness of my sins. When I received the gift of salvation. I died and Christ now lives in me. I am a new creation. And every one of us who are believers here this morning have died to ourselves. And we live for Christ. In Galatians 3.27, Paul says that we have been baptized into Christ. We've been baptized into Christ. That doesn't mean water baptism. That's not what Paul is talking about there in Galatians 3. It means to be immersed and meaning to be immersed into Christ. That is, we as believers have been immersed into Christ and therefore we identify with Christ as we die to ourselves. Turn over to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, such an amazing book Romans is. Romans chapter 6, and look at verse 4 and what it says there. Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. This verse is using baptism as an illustration of death and resurrection. Just as you go under the water in baptism, you identify with Christ in his death and in his burial. And when you come up out of the water, you identify with Christ in his resurrection. And so baptism is a a picture of what Christ has done for us in his death, 
burial, and resurrection. And we are proclaiming that we have died to our sin, to our old self. Our old self is buried. And we live to Christ. And we will rise again with Christ. Just as we have risen out of the waters. One commentator says, dipping our body into water is symbolic of the events which have already transpired, specifically our death, burial, and resurrection with Christ. And so baptism is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ that we identify with. And this morning we will have ten people who are going to show this, who are going to illustrate this in an act of obedience who are going to identify with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. We have union with Christ. And because we have died to ourselves and we are unified with Christ, we look forward to our future resurrection through faith in Christ alone, right? That's what we look forward to. In closing, why do we do what we do? Why do we baptize believers? Again, this is only for believers, those who have professed faith in Christ. Why do we baptize believers? It's not because it's a good church tradition. It's not because it's going to get more people in the door. It's not because it's some kind of rite of passage into the church. We baptize because it's commanded. Because it's an act of obedience to Christ. Because it's a witness to others. Because it's an outward expression of an inward reality. And because it's a picture of death, burial, and resurrection as we identify with Christ. And listen, we do it because it's biblical, right? And everything that we want to do, we want to do it because it's biblical, and these ten who are being baptized today are doing it for these very reasons. And we're going to rejoice with them as they respond in obedience to Christ, right? That's what we will do as they come out of the water. And we rejoice with them in seeing their obedience and their allegiance to Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for this word that you have given us this morning in the waters of baptism. And I thank you for these ten who will be baptized here this morning. In an act of obedience to you, we thank you for the work that you have done in their hearts to call them and to draw them to yourself and to save them. And as they respond in obedience this morning, I pray that that would be a continual reflection of their heart that they would continually walk in obedience to you, and that all of us would do that, that we would be obedient to what you have commanded us to do. We thank you for this word this morning. We pray that you would help us to live lives of obedience to you, and that everything that we do, we do because it is what you have commanded us to do in your word. And that we would be able to respond to everything that we do and say because it is biblical and this is what our God and our King commands us to do. 
May we live lives in that way for your glory and your glory alone, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.